0: Unlike
1: me. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN.
0: Hello, and welcome to My Time Capsule. Hello, and welcome to the one year birthday episode of My Time Capsule. Yes, My Time Capsule is a year old today. My name's Mike Fenton Stevens, and My Time Capsule, if you haven't heard it in the whole year that it's been around, is the podcast where I ask my guests to reveal the five things from their life that they would like to keep safe in a time capsule. They can pick anything in their life that is important to them, but they must pick four things that they treasure and one thing that they rather regret or find embarrassing, something they would like to bury in the ground and never have to think about again. My guest doing just that for us on our birthday is the comedian, writer, presenter, and part-time impressionist Rob Brydon. Rob is the host of the TV panel show Would I Lie to You? and the co-star alongside Steve Coogan of the partly improvised comedy The Trip which has spawned several television shows and a film. He was also Bryn West in the BBC comedy Gavin and Stacey, co-written by his lifelong friend Ruth Jones. Rob came to fame through his own show, Marion and Jeff, and the wonderfully dark comedy that he made with Julia Davis, Human Remains. He also appeared in shows such as QI, Gangster Granny, I'm Alan Partridge, The Keith Barrett Show, Annually Retentive, Not Going Out, and his own chat show, inventively called the rob bryden show brilliant rob is often heard on i'm sorry i haven't a clue on bbc radio 4 where the audience are treated to his exceptional singing voice and he has his own podcast copycat called bryden and available every thursday exclusively on spotify so here for our birthday edition is rob bryden and the things he'd like to put in his time capsule. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Happy birthday to us. Happy birthday to us. Yeah, buddy. How are you doing? Uh, All right. You know, I mean, considering I've actually managed to do some work. I mean, you did the whole of Would I Lie to You?
2: The whole Would I Lie to You, which was... um we did with a really limited audience of 30 people mm. in the studio and 30 in a screening room, spacing the desks out. It's funny how you barely notice it. It's so different to how they used to be.
0: You probably notice it more, but uh, that yeah. wide shot that you get, you don't get that very often, do you? Do you, do you- exactly,
2: yeah. Do You know when you find something and it's a really good fit? Yeah. Which I've had a few times with The Trip and with Gavin and Stacey, you know, in particular, I, it's just... You know that you're working at the top of your capacity, if that makes sense. Yeah, everything's firing. Yeah, everything's firing. And all the things that you have
0: work. Do you remember a long time ago talking about uh, maybe backstage at that charity thing we did for Phil Pope? Yes. I remember talking to you saying that I never really expected that you three would develop such a good relationship comically. Yeah. You would have thought that the styles would have clashed. But it is that clash that is funny. Is the fact that each one of you really appreciates the other's ability. You can see it it's, every time you watch it's it. It's
2: interesting, isn't it? Because um, I mean, you've got two obvious archetypes in David and Lee. I mean, in, in, if you want to really reduce it, you know, you've got Lee, working class, northern David, middle class, southern, with the idea that he's even he's not middle class, you know, he's, he's slightly upper class which is Yeah. It. And then I'm sort of <laughs> like Derek Smalls in Spinal Tap. I'm somewhere <laughs> in between you know, like Luke Hall Mortar. And I sort of go in between and what I find quite funny is when I will switch allegiance, you know, uh, one minute be nice to one, <laughs> then not the other, but there's no rhyme or reason. No. Yeah. And we, we like to sort of set each other up. I mean, a lot of the times I'll put something up there knowing that they will slam it down and sometimes to my detriment, you know, but you do it for the structure of the whole thing, you know, yeah. um, as opposed to desperately going, I've got to be the one who gets the laugh, you know.
0: That's the real key to it, I think, is the fact that... uh, I was just watching it last night, thinking about it, watching the number of times that you caught people doing their act, being funny and being skillful at it, and then somebody else says something, and then they just can't help themselves but laugh at it. And it's a genuine laugh. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure that's why it's become more and more popular, actually it is that relationship between the three of you. Yeah. And it sort of doesn't really matter who the guests are. I mean, of course, unless it's Bob Mortimer and then... Bob is in a league
2: of his own. Um, Greg Davis is always good on it. Rod Gilbert. Claudia Winkleman's always good on it. And then what you find is that authority figures work very well on there. Someone like Nick Hewer from The Apprentice. Mm -hmm. um, Moira Stewart. um, Somebody that brings a little bit of gravitas or a renowned actor. We had a period where we'd have someone like Charles Dance or Nigel Havers. It gives you something that you can play with. I've often done that shtick of how lovely to have someone like you on here, you know, so much better than the usual rubbish we get, you know, all that that sort of thing, you know. We had a period where we would have, we had Ronnie Corbett did it, Terry Wogan did it, Mm. Des O'Connor did it. Yeah. All now gone, of course, but and at that time in the autumn of their, of their years. So they bring something lovely to it.
0: Do you remember that period that Bob Monkhouse had? Yes. Where he just fell in love with anybody from the younger
2: generation. But Ronnie was like that, Ronnie Corbett. Ronnie yeah. was very, you know, famously he was into Harry Hill before he was known, the League of Gentlemen before they were known. I think it's a remarkable thing because it's very easy to um, think things aren't what they were in your day. And uh, I remember going to see Harry in about 98 maybe at the Richmond Theatre and I, I went on my own. Mm. And that was when I was starting to do some stand-up gigs. So I was totally thinking about stand-up the whole time and studying it and all, you know, really trying to understand it. And the thing I remember with Harry is that... Because you can see a brilliant comedian and they can be brilliant, but you know what they're doing and you know where they're going to go. But you still appreciate it wonderfully, you know, the structure. But I remember with Harry, there were things where I said, my God, I didn't think he would take that turn. Yeah. You know, um, the night I saw him, and I dare say he did it every night, um, he would go along the front row asking people if they had pets. And he said, have you, "Have you got a cat?" And someone said, "Yes." Right? Have you got a cat? Yes. Do you like cat? Yes. Have you got a cat? Uh, he said, no. Do you like cats? Yes. And then he screamed at them, "Well, get a cat!" <laughs> and, and it was—it was just. I remember it was, and I was on my own, you know. So I was laughing uproariously, mm. and, and Ron was, yeah, he—he—he he, um, he was very across all that stuff.
0: Well, and um, so um, have you had a chance to think about some things? Yes. You yes, can. I have, Good yes, man. yes. Oh, look, you've got a list. Yeah, of
2: course, yeah.
0: Lovely, we'll have a go at it and see what we do. Okay. So, Rob. Mm. Well, Rob Jones, I like to call you.
2: <laughs> Congratulations on the MBE. <laughs> <laughs> yes, very much the, the cycling proficiency test of honours, it has to be said. It's a funny thing because I found it so surprising and shocking and I'm not sure that I... I'm totally comfortable with the whole honest thing mm. but evidently I am or or I would have done <laughs> would have a no I would have done a sheen and and you know I would either have done a fry one has to assume and just turned it down from the start or done a sheen and a lemon and accepted it and then given it back but um I think you're just too polite or oh, 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 too vain I tell you what with my parents it absolutely you know, made their day.
0: Um, Amazing, yeah.
2: So it's, my defence is, how could I deny my parents that
0: pleasure? (laughs) How could I deny them the medal that I have in my pocket and carry everywhere?
2: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, thank you for that. Nobody's ever opened an interview with congratulations
0: on the (laughs) MV. I'd like to do things in reverse. So we're going to talk about five things from your life that you'd like to put into a time capsule, you know, yeah. things that you personally treasure, and uh, and then we'll we'll find out why. I hope. So, what's the first thing you'd like to put in?
2: Well, I mean, this could be an endless list, couldn't it? And and it's 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 mm. very hard. So, what I want to say is that this list is in no way definitive. Okay. It, nor is it legally binding, um, <laughs> because I reserve the right to change my mind, but. I'm going to start with nature. Now, now that's that's a big one. Um, Yeah. Particularly because you're asking me in early 2021, and we're all living through what we're all living through, and nature, I think, has come to the fore recently. I've noticed it more than ever. You know, when we first went into lockdown, was it last whenever it was, and we were at home, And we're lucky enough to have a nice little garden and with enough in it to really notice things changing. Yeah. It was so comforting. And I am, at the grand age of 55, noticing nature more than ever and getting so much from it, much more than I ever did. I've turned into one of those people that can just gaze at a tree or just sit amongst nature. So I would, if this time capsule were to represent, I mean, what is the purpose, Mike? For God's sake, man, answer the question.
0: What is the purpose, Mike, of this time capsule? The purpose of it. Uh, Well, it's very much up to you, actually. Uh, We'll put these things in the time capsule. We'll seal it so that they're safe, protect them in there. But then it's up to you what you do with it. You can bury it in the ground and leave it for future generations to find or you can basically put it there so that every now and again if you want to have a little peek inside?
2: Well, no, I'm thinking of it then in that case very much as, you know, thousands of years from now. Right. When people want to know what a minor Welsh comedian thought about the world. That's how I'm thinking of it. That it would it would it would represent that
0: when the world has got the faith of um, of a Wilti, so the great wilty <laughs> in the sky. Yes, that's right. And you're the chief. Yes, the chief icon. Yeah.
2: What did he want? What did he love? I look. Deity is a very strong word, but I do feel it's the appropriate <laughs> word in, in this instance. I mean, the thing is, of course, we won't have a Tutankhamun moment will be because everything is recorded now there's no need for people to search for anything so going forward it's a curious thing isn't it everything will be on record yes so there won't be that look what we've discovered Mm -hmm. unless stuff is hidden from public view and the stuff that gets hidden tends to be the, the unpleasant stuff so all the celebratory stuff is out there and everybody's life is recorded now on on their telephones.
0: Mm. Yes, it's a very strange thing, isn't it? My grandchildren, I have hours and hours of videotape of them growing up.
2: And they'll be able to see that, yeah, yeah. Whereas you and I, our infancy still has a lovely sepia-tinged, not a very good photograph, and I think that is quite nice because it yes. it, it adds uh, an air of mystery and romance to it. Occasionally movement, but never any sound. Yeah. There's a great app called something like 8mm, and you can choose different types of... You can get it looking like a 70s cine film, a 50s yeah. thing. And stuff that you shoot on that is so much more atmospheric if you go on your holidays and you shoot stuff on that. It's so much more enjoyable to watch.
0: Very early on in Rowan Atkinson's career... Uh, he started cine filming his own life. Did he? And he has a great store of cine film, so that um, wow. in fact there'll be a sort of a silent movie of Rowan Atkinson's
2: career. Wow! I've only met him once, and it was quite a quite a thrill. In fact, it was on that the, the, the Phil P- Pope uh, charity, oh, the charity show. The charity thing, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah, yeah I was I was very thrilled to uh, to meet him.
0: He's very sweet, his name, Very sweet,
2: shy. That's right. I mean, I'd heard that he was, but certainly it was not what you would expect if you hadn't heard that Um, because, you know, he's a giant with a phenomenal body of work. And, of course, he he has that thing. There aren't many people that have it now. I think Peter Kay has it a little bit, which is a bit of mystery because they don't pop up everywhere. And there's Mm -hmm. very few people now that that have anything approaching that. But Rowan Atkinson uh, does. I think
0: yes I'm not sure if it's apocryphal that he for a while refused to allow Mr Bean to be sold in a particular country so that he could go there on holiday (laughs) and not be recognized (laughs) but when the film came out they said it has to happen so there isn't a place in the world that he can go that where people don't shout Mr Bean Mr Bean well it's a nice problem isn't it a nice problem yes yeah
2: so when you were a boy Rob was nature important to you then not like it is now. I, I used to love trees. I used to love uh, climbing trees, uh, swings, hanging ropes on trees was a big thing for mm. me and, and, and swinging. I remember we had a big book in the house, which I think we might have got when we joined the AA, perhaps. It was the AA Book of Nature or it might have been the Reader's Digest book of nature. You see, (laughs) if I were a child now, I'd probably have, you'd be able to somehow cross-reference it on a computer, but I prefer this grasping for the, the truth in this hazy memory, you know. It's so much more romantic. We had a book anyway, and it had very vivid pictures of nature, you know, pine trees and redwoods and hummingbirds and all this kind of thing. And I, I did like that. But no, the, the the nature is the way I'm talking about it now from my time capsule is very much a, a recent thing. I'm sure it's it's a combination of getting a bit older and the situation we find ourselves in, you know, where you try to just live in the moment a bit more because you don't want to think about what might be coming and you 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 know, they all say, don't they, just live in the moment. Mm. And nature's a good way to do that. I don't know how you're going to get it into this time capsule, but that's your problem.
0: Yes, it's almost a concept, isn't it? Rather than a than I think it's a. I sort of feel that I'd have to put
2: everything in. Well, that, yeah. Well, I don't envy you that, but
0: <laughs> it's my problem. I, I've set myself this problem of saying choose anything, and now you've chosen nature.
2: I mean, I, I, I'm. Maybe tell you what. Why why don't we make this a bit easier for you? Okay. Why don't I say New Zealand? Then then that's I think that's a bit more manageable. Just New Zealand. Just put New There's Zealand. There's a lot of
0: nature in New Zealand, isn't there? Yeah.
2: Well, and let's make it easier again. Let's say the South Island.
0: Okay.
2: I, in fact, yeah. no, Mike, Mike, Mike. This is all about lightening your load. I'm going to say <sighs> Lake Wanaka in New Zealand, South Island. Okay and what's that like i've never it's been it's kind of idyllic it's it i just found the whole new zealand experience to be magical and lake wanaka really touched a nerve with me how do i explain it you get the feeling it's hard to imagine there's any crime in new zealand now i'm sure there is mm. right but it just <laughs> seems so at ease and you know, look at the way they dealt with, the uh, Prime Minister They dealt with yeah. COVID. You could argue, well, of course, it's easier for them to, to shut their borders down. But she seemed to do it in a very mature, level-headed, you know, there's an adult in the room kind of way. <laughs> there didn't seem to be any... Huge... There's a woman in the uh, room. Well, well, this is an interesting point. I, I'm, I'm one of those men who would be fair, I, why aren't more women in charge of more things, you know, I would be very happy. You say that, someone says, well, that's just as sexist as saying that women shouldn't do things. I Well, it's not, though, really, is it? She seems to have dealt with it with no trace of hubris or point scoring or gesturing or grandstanding, uh, just with a very clear head.
0: Yes, what are the facts?
2: Okay, then we'll act on the facts. I mean, I wouldn't wish this bloody situation on anybody. I mean, God knows... Anybody can do a better job of it than I would, but uh, mm-hmm. I haven't put myself forward for the job, so.
0: No, quite. So I've, I've been to New Zealand, yeah, but I didn't go to the South Island. So my impression of the South Islands is basically Lord of the Rings, I think.
2: Yeah.
0: And is that right?
2: Yes, it, but, you know, it's everything. We did a journey. We drove around in a camper van. We went from Queenstown, which is like a, well, it is a ski resort in the winter. It is wonderful. So many things you can do there, you know. Jumping off things, skiing down things, boat things, abseiling, canoeing. Oh. And we went to Milford Sound, which is the famous spot. We were very lucky. We had incredibly clear weather. We went to Lake Wanaka. And on this one particular journey, you went through so many different types of landscape. One moment you were in the best of the home counties in in England. Then you were in the sort of Scottish Like you're in the Trossachs or somewhere. And then you suddenly, you were in the Alps. And we went to, if you go to Milford Sound, you go up, 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 and then through a tunnel and down, 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 down. And you get to, there's a very famous waterfall that featured in one of the Wolverine or X-Men films. And you get on this boat and... It's, it's, it's astonishing because it's a sort of a, a river or perhaps an estuary that comes in from the sea. So I believe what makes it interesting is it's a mixture of salt water and fresh water. Mm. So that makes the wildlife there very specific. And they have a thing where they put an observation deck under the water with huge glass uh, portholes you can look out of. So you go down this revolving uh, staircase... And uh, what's the word I'm looking for there, Mike? Not a revolving staircase. A spiral. Spiral. Spiral staircase. You go down that, and there you are about, I don't know, 20, 30 feet under the surface of the water, mm. and you see all this marine life. And there was a young guy there that was giving the talk, and he told a story of how you get all sorts down here. He said, it's It's wonderful. No, it's, it's a New Zealand accent, so it's slightly different. You get all sorts down here. And we had a group of schoolchildren. And he said, and there was some creature. Now, let's say, let's say, because I can't remember specifically what it was, but it was a very cute creature, right? You don't see very often. Let's say it's some lovely seal or something. I don't know. And this seal was coming along. It was quite rare. And out of nowhere, a predator came along grabbed this thing and started slamming it into the glass. So blood was spilled. And these children who were one moment having the most wonderful life-forming experience that would stay with them forever, suddenly had an horrific life-forming experience that would stay with them forever. And they were screaming. So that's in um, Milford Sound. You drive around down there just... Gazing out of the window at the glory of nature. So that's a much mm. better way than the South Island of New Zealand. If you have to be even more specific, Lake Wanaka. Just beautiful. Beautiful.
0: We will definitely put that into the time capsule for you then. All right. Yes. I'm sure there must have been a part of it that would have reminded you of uh, Porth Corn.
2: There are parts of it. Well, I tell you what, they, they shot... Do you remember that film, um, Midnight Run, with Robert De Niro and Charles Grodin? Yeah. And there's a bit in that where they jump into the rapids, and it's meant to be around colorado way, I think, and that was shot in New Zealand. So there's a lot of that sort of landscape there with these mm. rapids and we went on one of those jet boats that's very shallow and it goes bombing through the canyons and takes you so close to the hard stone rock wall. It's just astonishing. (laughs) So bits of it are very reminiscent. You often find that, don't you? I mean, I remember being in South Africa, in Cape Town and climbing... The, a table mountain, and that goes through several stages as you get up to the top. You start at the bottom, Very, lu- there's the, is it Kirstenbosch Gardens? They're called something like that. Very lush, verdant, abundant. And you start to climb up. It takes hours. And there's one point where it's as if you're in the Scottish Highlands, quite <laughs> yeah. unwelcoming, bracken and heather, are, that sort of vibe. And again, in New Zealand, in the South Island, you would experience all these different places. That's part of the delight of it, you know. We went horse riding out there and, and that was like, sometimes it was like being in the American West, then all of a sudden it was a bit like being uh, in the Yorkshire Dales or the Lake District, just so verdant. Mm. I mean, it's an astonishing country. It's just it's just a shame it's so far away, you know.
0: Yeah, quite. Well, so we shall put the South Island of New Zealand, Lake Wanaka, yeah. into the yeah. time capsule. That's your first item, Rob. Okay, okay, lovely. So what's number two?
2: Well, this is a thing, and this is, I have downstairs here in in our house, I have a vintage 1957 jukebox. Uh ah. It's an AMI something. <laughs> it's flown away now. <laughs> and It is from 1957, the year that Jailhouse Rock, as I'm sure you are aware, came out. Mm. And um, this one was found in California and bought by a dealer and then restored. I mean, a lot of it is original. I think it's the original valve or valves in the speaker. It's a big mono speaker in there. And then it's brought back to Britain and and finished off. and, And I had it for my 50th birthday. Brilliant. And it's got... A wonderful sound to it because it's mono, particularly with songs from the 50s. So, for example, a lot of those, are I love Elvis, a lot of those are Elvis singles. So what you do is, I'm surprised when I talk to people about Jukebox, they, how often they, they don't understand it and they'll say, oh, so can you... Can you choose which records to have on it? And you say, well, yes, of course you can. Mm -hmm. And are they actual records? Well, yes, they're records. And once you put them on, can you change them? Well, yes, of course you can. (laughs) And and that was, when when we got it, part of the great joy of it was sourcing these old original singles and trying to get them in the best condition. Um, So a song, for example, like Are You Lonesome Tonight, If you listen to that on your normal system at home, a lot of people now have these speakers, you know, and then it's all digital, isn't it? And it sounds just fine. Mm -hmm. But if you then listen to Are You Lonesome Tonight on this jukebox, Elvis's voice is way out front. It's all mono. It's all compact. It's a totally different listening experience. It's as it was meant to be, you know. Mm. And it's fantastic, and and it's a there's a joy to going up to it, choosing what you want, and going. You have to press as like a sixteen or something. So you go, yeah. and it's a it's a it's a big you know buttony switch thing, and then and then you hear, and then and then the two things come back up. The two things you press on, like that, and then and then. And then up it comes, down the arm comes across, and they mute the sound initially. Then the sound comes up. So if it's a bit crackly, you get, and then do 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 do. Are you and and it goes into that. Brilliant. So it's so it, it, it's calming because it slows you down uh, to do it. Mm-hmm. So what I would do is I would have that jukebox, but I would have if this is allowed, an endless supply of singles yes. that I could curate and rotate mm-hmm. and annotate and gyrate and anything else that well, ends. if that's what you
0: like to do with it, then you must have that. Because if, in fact, the joy of it is to, is to sort of think, what combination of music shall I put on it today?
2: Well, it, what happens is anything modern is edged out. I, I, I've ordered a few, actually, in the last week, and something arrived yesterday, which was a Frank Sinatra EP. Because if you can get an EP, you get twice as much music, okay? If you can get two songs on each side. So this is a wonderful EP. It's Lady is a Tramp and Witchcraft on one side, Mm. and the other side is Come Fly With Me, and A, another song that I wasn't familiar with. So I've put that on. So I've got lots of Elvis, I've got Jerry Lee Lewis, Chuck Berry, a couple of Tom Jones. It's songs from that period or thereabouts. That's what works better. When I first Mm -hmm. got it, I had quite a lot of 70s stuff, which would be the music from my actual childhood. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, the 50s, I was born in 65. So, uh, but the 70s stuff, it it sounds good. So I've got You're So Vain by Carly Simon. That sounds pretty good on there. Mm -hmm. Dreams by Fleetwood Mac is pretty good. But more and more, when, when I'm having to make space, it tends to be that era that goes. Yeah. i got a couple of Tony Bennetts on there and another couple because I love him.
0: That's my karaoke. It, which song? Uh, well, I Left My Heart in San Francisco. <laughs> it is strangely the song that, that, uh, that sort of defined my career. It, when I was a student, yes. I auditioned for plays to go to Edinburgh and I was going to be a serious actor and Angus Deaton, your forerunner, yeah. as we may call him, <laughs> <laughs> he auditioned me for um, for the review, yeah, and said, you know, well, can you sing? And I said, yeah. He said, well, sing me something. So I sang that, and he said, yeah, okay, good. Um, now, can you sing it and be funny? So I said, um, I think so. Okay, right. Um, I left my hu- <laughs> And that got me the job. That was my career in comedy. Suddenly, yeah, yeah, that was it. Defined
2: uh, was was that you, Angus, and Phil?
0: Yeah, that's right. So and that's, that's
2: how that's how you started.
0: That's how we started a long time ago together. Very fortuitous, and uh, I'm oh. very lucky to be in that room and to bump into him. I think we had a lovely time together. So that song, Tony Bennett, yeah, that, and so I always sing that if I go into a karaoke bar which I
2: like to do. (laughs) Don't we all? Have you been to San Francisco? No, I haven't. Well, we we were in San Francisco autumn before last and we stayed in a hotel up on a hill, because it's all hills, and we got there, we thought, well, we're going to have a walk, and we went for a walk, and there's a statue of Tony Bennett on the front lawn of a hotel near the one we stayed at, because I think... It's where he first sang. Maybe it's where he first sang that song publicly, mm. I don't know, perhaps in the ballroom there or something. But I, being a, such a fan of his, it was so unexpected and wonderful to see this yeah. statue of him kind of welcoming you to San Francisco.
0: I saw him not long ago perform. I mean, well, I, I say not long ago, probably about ten years ago. Oh, right, at yes. Leeds Castle, open-air performance. And yes. uh, he was astonishing.
2: Yeah. I saw... Um, tony bennett about three years ago mm-hmm. at the albert hall and he was he was astonishing and the great thing the thing that came across most i think was his ability as a storyteller because as he sang the songs he was telling you stories the way he phrased them and he just communicated these stories through the medium of music mm-hmm. it was one of the Best performances I've ever seen uh, in my life. It was so impressive. Which is, you know, a man
0: in his 80s, I suppose, probably. No, in his 90s, in his 90s 90s now. I mean, to still be able to sing at all. I know. But to be able to sing like that, amazing.
2: Mm. Mm. You'll be like that, won't you, Rob? That'll be you. Um, Well, I'd just be happy to be alive when I'm in my my 90s. That'll be something, wouldn't it? Mm. I do like singing and I've been doing more of it. I I was before this uh, lockdown thing started. I'd started a tour with a with a band. I got a nine-piece band together and I was just loving it. And I was very reluctant, you know, because I do think that, rightly or wrongly, when a bloke you know primarily off the television mm-hmm. tells you he now wants to sing, <laughs> it, it can be a sort of eye-rolling, uh, right, a bit indulgent, you know, vanity mm-hmm. thing. But then I had sung on loads of things over the years, you know. Um, so I finally got together and got this band and it's a show of um, songs there's songs from from shows and, and different things i've done in my life but also stories as well so it's a it's a funny show uh, with brilliant musicians oh, i'd like to see that oh well please come i'd love you to come we're hoping to start it up again in the in the autumn great we'd managed 12 shows and then we had to shut down and we actually shut down we were at guildford we were playing at g live in guildford and we actually were in doing a sound check, when the prime minister did that press conference, where he said we recommend people don't go to the theatre, we're yeah. not saying you can't, but we recommend. So I said, right, that's it, we're mm-hmm. stopping. And and I left the venue as people were coming, arriving through the car park. Uh-huh. And I, and I remember I was walking back to my car, and I remember um, somebody see me, and he said, he said we got a shower Rub, and I became quite emotional because it's the most, the most unprecedented. Thing to find yourself having to do. It's one thing to cancel a show because you're ill, but this was no, the government has announced something and I have had to make a decision myself. They haven't said you have to stop, but mm. because of what they've said, I feel it's my responsibility.
0: Yes, people coming to see you would be putting themselves yes, at risk. That's and right. You would feel a responsibility for that. And, it. and yeah. it would be because of me. So, mm.
2: so yeah, we stopped that, but it had been, um, such a great experience, so I can't wait to get back out. No, I bet. Well, you've got a great voice, so... Thank you very much indeed. But so the jukebox then, yeah, and it would be... I'd get so much pleasure from that. The one thing
0: I took from uh, the very sad life and uh, properly punished life of Phil Spector was that they said that he hated stereo and he hated his music to be played on stereo. He designed it specifically for mono.
2: Well, that's interesting because that's, that's why I said, you know, with Are You Lonesome Tonight, it sounds so good because that's what they were designed for. They were designed for mono speakers. And, mm. you know, the, the Beatles a few years ago, all their stuff was put out on CD in its original mono setting and also in stereo, so you could compare the two. And it, to my mind, it's the mono stuff that has the punch and the atmosphere. It is a strange thing, isn't it, when you think about it, that that we are meant to believe that stereo is better than mono. But on this jukebox, mono just works fantastically. So I want that definitely in my time capsule.
0: Yes, well, it's going in then, the 1957 jukebox with an endless supply of changeable records with a large hole in the middle.
2: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, 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 Mm. yeah. For jukeboxes, people may not know, the centre hole has to be big. So when you get a record for your jukebox, you have the challenge of getting rid of that middle bit of the record. And some labels, it's only contained in the middle by three little pinpoints. That's mm. the design. And you can just hold it down and pop, pop, pop. But some, it's solid all the way through. And for that, you have a device that you, you, you stick it in and you have to get a big spanner, a clamp. And, and the danger <laughs> is that you're going to break the record. You know, not breaking a record in a good way, breaking no. a record in a bad way. <laughs> so it's always nice when they when they arrive either with the hole already there or with an easy centre bit to get rid of.
0: Mm. OK, that's number two. So we'll move on to number three. OK, we're going to take a short break here to see if this podcast is doing well enough to have an advert in the middle. We'll be back in a moment.
1: In a given
0: month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Welcome back. Right, I have no idea if you've been treated to an advert or some silence. So, well, just in case you feel hard done by, here's my own little advert for you. Water. It's a great way to quench your thirst. So why don't you drink water? There you go. Right, let's get back to Rob Bryden and his time capsule.
2: Yeah, now, I'm looking at this list, Mike, and I'm having second thoughts. I'm happy with the bad one. I'm comfortable with that.
0: OK, well, well you don't have to do the bad one last. You could do that now if you
2: wanted to. Let's do that now, then. And let's that do might... it now. OK. And it is this, the evolution of language... Now, I know that language has to evolve. And I'm talking about the English language. Now, it has to evolve because otherwise we would be saying thou and verily and forsooth, right? That didn't stop one day. It slowly changed and, and people would have said, oh, have you heard so and so? He doesn't say forsooth anymore. He says... He keeps saying you. Yeah, but I react very, very strongly against the, it's changing. And I think it's a shortcoming on my part, but the way that him and her are, to my mind, misused. Did you do that podcast with Mike Fenton Stevens? Yes, I did. Well, him and Angus go back a long way? Hang on, no, no, <laughs> he, he and Angus, because you can't say him goes back a long way. Now, no. that is becoming so prevalent now. Also, I'm <laughs> such a big one for... Uh, me and Mike did his podcast. No, Mike and I Mike did and his I. podcast because you couldn't say me did his podcast. I mean, you hear that everywhere now. So what do you
0: put that down to? Do you put that down to misuse? Well, I don't know. I-, I do remember all those things in the way that you've described it to me, being drilled into me by my English teacher. That thing of saying, mm. well, think, could you say it without the other person? Yeah. And would it sound right?
2: I mean, and that is the rule, but... Can't stop it evolving. I would love to know why it evolves or what causes it to evolve. And also speech. I mean, the, the obvious one to talk about is the upward inflection. <laughs> I would put that in. <laughs> and also the they call it a vocal fry, uh, which mm. tends to be more of a female thing, uh, where where that kind of thing goes on, where they talk like that and they sound...
0: It's it's sort of Californian, I think, maybe that's where that's that, been yes, picked up this from. call
2: it a, a valley girl thing, yeah. Yeah. How does it start?
0: They're running out of breath, I think. Or they're talking as if they're running out of breath. Do you know what I mean? When you actually yes. keep talking, you talk and eventually gets to the point where you've got nothing Yes, there, yes, yes, that, yes. That well, of- that's
2: another thing I can stick in the bad list then because the, you notice that with public speaking, sometimes politicians, and you want to say, for God's sake, take a breath. <laughs> Someone explained it to me once when I was going to do my first play. They described it as playing tennis and that when you go to hit a tennis ball, it's, it's a good idea to take a backswing first. You know, It's a good idea to go back and then through. And the backswing is the breath. Because on stage, in a play, you can easily... If you haven't thought it through, find yourself running out of breath. And and in song, you know, when you're singing songs, you've really got to think, right, where am I going to breathe here? You know, where am I going to breathe? Um, So they taught me that it's in... And then you speak your line and you can go on for, he said, (laughs) having a little cough. Um, (laughs) Now, children do it, young children. I think they can be so keen to tell you something or when they're talking about something and then and they start to do that again and they'll take a breath.
0: I don't really object to the evolution of language as long as it makes it grow, I think. It's when language starts to limit down that you use fewer and fewer words. See, fewer is a word I love because it's so clear and I use it less and less.
2: Well done, you. Oh, a terrible one for that. Fewer and less and all this kind of stuff, you know. But, of course, language has to evolve. It has to evolve. So I am in the wrong because what I'm essentially doing is saying, hang on to the past. We, we It can't change. And that, that mm. has to be wrong, but I find it hugely irritating. So I'd like to take language back to where it was 10 years ago.
0: Yeah, that's cool.
2: Like that. Thanks very much. <laughs> uh, well, because if if we were to do that, we would not be starting sentences with so uh, that wouldn't have crept in yet Mm -hmm. i think the upward inflection would be with this i remember stephen fry talking about the upward inflection years ago he spotted Mm -hmm. it years ago i think he was talking on clive james on clive's you know sunday night itv show i remember him talking about the upward inflection and me thinking is is that a thing really I'm, i'm not sure about that the here's where i become terribly hypocritical about all this I'm quite happy to be critical of all this. And, of course, then I do it myself. And I don't realise I'm doing it myself until I accidentally hear a recording. I don't mean a performance, but just a recording of speaking normally. And that's when you go, oh, my God, all these things that I'm pontificating about, Mm. I'm doing it myself.
0: Uh. (laughs) (laughs) So we will, like, you know, put... (laughs) The evolution of language, we will restrict yeah. it for you so it, it yes. doesn't happen.
2: Yeah. I have found myself doing the upward inflection and checked myself and go, wow, why? How are you doing that? You actively object to that. You, you know, you, yeah. how could you find yourself
0: doing it? I find myself doing it, but when I'm asking a question, but actually, uh, I don't often ask a question. <laughs> would you like a cup of
2: tea? <laughs> I'm quite happy to say, would you like a cup of tea? Well, here's another thing. Look, can I maybe have a few extra negatives because I'm finding that easier? BBC continuity announcers have recently started telling us their Christian names. (laughs) Now, dear God, why, what possible purpose does that serve? The only purpose that serves, and perhaps the only reason I I could excuse it, is the lonely. If there is a lonely person and there are many lonely people, maybe it's nice. I heard one the other day announce herself as Jenny. Hi, it's Jenny. <laughs> I thought, well, well, good for you.
1: Um,
2: and, and then told us what was to come. And, and also when a, when a continuity announcer tries to add a witticism, why mm. And I speak from experience. I was a continuity announcer on BBC Wales in the mid to late 80s. Right. So I would have to say, and now you know, it's the news in Wales. And I was the person who did, not continuity, but I would voice trailers for the BBC. You did quite a lot, I remember. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I I, I used to do uh, With Match of the Day at 10 that Saturday night on BBC One. Mm. I I used to do those. But you, you didn't say, and I'm Rob, by the way. No, no, no. no. H- Hello, I'm Rob. <laughs> I think I'm Rob or I'm Jenny would be something. I think this one was It's Jenny here. It's Jenny. Possibly not. Now, that's not fair to her. That be-
0: sounds like somebody answering a question from somebody outside a room when they're a hostage. <laughs> okay, who have we got inside there? I- it's Jenny. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and she's gone up at the end as well. <laughs> yeah. So if if the hostage does that, I say sacrifice the hostage you know it's it's, it's it's for the greater good
0: well i think that's very true i did yes i don't need to be informed of how people are feeling when they're making announcements thank you very much
2: no it's a curious thing isn't it I mean, is it maybe it's to build up channel loyalty maybe maybe people think that it gives the channel an identity i i, I don't know but it is a it is an odd thing
0: yeah maybe mm-hmm. i'm sure that's what they're doing on the underground where they constantly tell us how good it is
2: Oh, I've not. I've not been on the underground. For... Well, you, you wouldn't. Why would you go? On no, the no. Underground? I, I don't. I don't mean I've not been on the underground because who will look at me? I mean I've not been on the underground because there's a, a, a pandemic. That's the reason <laughs> I avoided that. I... <laughs>
0: they couldn't fit you and your team in the carriage.
2: I'm perfectly happy to travel on the underground but I just I just haven't been for
0: for quite Nobody's a while. Believing you now, Rob. I've set the whole no, idea up in people's heads. That's it. Now you're a man who never travels on the it's going to be reported.
2: I, when I used to in the in the 90s when I used to do a zillion voiceovers in in Soho, I was the king of the underground and I and I knew the quickest way from the Piccadilly line platform at Piccadilly Circus. You could go through a little there was a shortcut got you out quicker that I overheard somebody doing once so you don't <laughs> follow the flow you don't follow the flow there's another way you can go you go down a few steps and then you're at the escalators straight away <laughs> and it, that used to make me feel so in the know <laughs> those were the days in those days when you did voiceovers as I'm sure you know mm. there, there was a lot of money in that world and they would employ a lot of actors you know and then as the years went by you see fewer fewer and fewer not less and less fewer and fewer actors in each session, but but I remember one of the first ones I ever did was was in, in a little ensemble with Donald Sinden <laughs> and Pauline Quirk and me, and it was directed by Steve Bendelack, you know, and that's when I got to meet them, you know, and I was playing Noddy. Donald Sinden was Big Ears and it was a radio commercial and Pauline was, um, she was Martha Monkey. <laughs> let's, let's, let's give her the credit. Pauline was Martha Monkey. Of course Monkey. she was. And Donald Sinden, of course, who, I mean, how could you not like Donald Sinden, you know? And he was there playing, playing Big Ears. And Steve Bentlack was directing, and it was for insurance, I think. And it was about household insurance. So the joke was that we're having mushrooms for dinner. And he says, we're having a wonderful mushrooms, Martha. And she says, oh, thank you. And I had to be noddy. I'd say, yeah, they're really tasty. And uh, she said, where did you get them? The joke was, of course, that Big Ears lived in a huge mushroom house, didn't he? Do you remember? His house was a mushroom. Yes. And she says, oh, well, I, I found them in the forest. down here." And he went, a forest? Was there a white picket fence around it? <laughs> right. And then, of course, the realisation is, my God, she's chopped down his house. And then some probably Enrightel, I imagine, came in mm. and said, you can insure your home an easier way. So when we're doing it, I remember Steve Benderlack, because I, was, I wasn't I was known, this was the 90s, so I was just learning all the time, you know, and mm. I was just thrilled to be in this environment, watching these people do their thing, and I was just listening to everything. And uh, Steve Benderlack was directing Sir Donald Syndon, and he said, I mean, the thing is, Donald, you know, when you, <coughs> she says... It's mushroom, and she says it's from the forest. For you, it's sort of, it's, it's dawning realisation. And Donald went, he was sat there, and he went, dawning realisation. <laughs> and then at one point, I think Steve said, I mean, you know, you know." and then suddenly just, it occurs, I mean, it, you know, Christ, he said, I mean, it's Titus Andronicus, right? And Donald goes, Titus, Titus Andronicus. <laughs> so then we go in to do it, and, and the other really clear memory I have of it is we do a take, right? They said, "Yeah, Donald, that was that was very good. Could could you just do it a little bigger, right?" And, <laughs> Don and Donald, Donald <laughs> yeah, exactly. And Donald, <laughs> under his breath, Donald went. Well, Donald turned to Pauline and, and and myself, and he went, "Bigger? Mm-hmm. They don't know what they're asking." Mm-hmm. Brilliant, unforgettable moments. Oh, it was fantastic.
0: I did Judge John Deed with Donald and and. Uh, The great thing about the job was that we used to just basically sit around Donald Sinden at lunchtime and off he would go with his anecdotes. Just unbelievable, marvellous man. He told me an anecdote. Two old actors on stage, both a bit hard of hearing, he said. So uh, they come to this point and they're both dry. And so the first one leans to the wings and says, yes. And this girl says, I can't hear you. And the other one says, I've got it. He goes to the window, pulls the curtain back and says, ''The milkman's coming.'' When I was a boy, milkman used to arrive on a horse-drawn cart and he had great urns at the back and he would ladle the milk out and he would shout, Milko! Milko! And women would scurry from their front doors and rush with a pan and he would ladle milk into the pan and then they would cover it and rush back home and that he would ride on, Wilco Milko into the distance.
2: Any help? <laughs> <laughs> oh God! There's nothing I like more <clears throat> than hearing uh, stories when you work with an actor who's been doing it longer than you, mm. and particularly because then there's stories from another era. Yes. Um talking about drying, do you remember that great thing Kenneth Williams told when he did that audience with how he was in I think it was is it is it The Ladies Not For Burning? Was that was that a yeah, play? possibly. Yeah. But I know he
0: famously played the Dauphin. The
2: the Dauphin, yeah. It was that one.
0: Yeah. St Joan. Burnout Shaw. St. Joan.
2: Oh, yes, that's right. It was St. Joan. And he yeah. said, he said, he said, he said, I was playing the Doe fan, you see. And there was an old boy, and he was playing the, uh, maybe the Archbishop or something, right? And he had to come on, you see, with a large cloth of gold. You see, and Maggie Smith was in the cast. <clears> and he had a big speech, you see. And um, <laughs> he's in this speech. And he said, oh, you stand. He said, you stand before God, you know, but no one can save you now with your impropriety. And, uh, and he had this wonderful speech. Anyway, one day, you see, <clears throat> he dried. He couldn't remember it. And he said, he said, you stand there. He said, you stand there. I mean, look at you. Look at you just standing there. He said, <laughs> and, he, and he said, well, he couldn't remember it. And he, anyway, he said, oh, he said, he turned to the audience and he just said, it's a very difficult part. <laughs> <laughs> oh, bless him. The other thing about that, right, is that so somebody's saying, an actor saying, it's a very difficult part. I love the reductive, is that the word? Because I, I, I've all, I have a big observation of mine is how when you start out as an actor, you're full of noble intent and you have this real hunger for it, right? Mm. And if you got a role, somebody might say, what's the part? And I think you'd go into great detail. Well, it's an interesting role. It's um, <laughs> I'm going to be in the bill, all right? I know you're playing. Well, it's a, it's a boy who, and it maybe maybe you've only got eight lines, but you say, well, he's a boy, he's really conflicted. He plays in this football team, but he gets in with a bad lot and they rob an off-licence. But I think that the boy, he never loses sight. He knows what he's doing is wrong. But then as as the years go by and you play more and more parts... And you realise that to a large degree, there is a limited number of roles and parts and types and that the same things come round again and Mm. and da-da-da. I always remember I was working in doing a play, Chorus of Disapproval, Trevor Nunn, and Paul Thornley was in the cast and his then-wife, had just got a job on one of the hospital dramas, either Holby or or Casualty, Casualty I think.
0: Yeah,
2: or is it Casualty? Right, Chloe. Her, her name is wonderful actress. And and he said uh, he said, oh, Chloe's got a got a long running job now on uh, Casualty. And I said, oh, what's the part? And he said, oh, gobby nurse. <laughs> <laughs> It's true. And that spoke volumes for me. That just spoke volumes for me because, and now as you get older and you meet other actors, or you say, what am I? Oh, yeah, I'm doing a thing. Oh, what are you doing? Oh, you know, doubting doctor. Or uh, what are you Mm. doing? Oh, pompous so-and-so.
0: My answer is um, (laughs) stupid posh bloke. I seem to play stupid posh bloke a lot.
2: It's funny, isn't it? And, and it makes you think that you think back to then to when you started, and you were the young person in the cast. That all those older actors in their fifties and sixties, who seemed so old, mm. they must have been having similar thoughts to the ones we have now. I suppose it's the idealism of youth. And yeah.
0: Uh, oh well. Yes. So um, that's good. Well, we've wandered away from language, but that's fine. <laughs> The progression yeah. of language stops now. Thank you, Rob. OK. Good. So have you thought of nice things?
2: Yes, and they are nice things. And and the concern is that they're a little bland. But I'm going to say friends.
0: Do you know you're the first person to choose that? and yeah. It surprises me.
2: Well, I'm, I'm nothing if not innovative. Um, <laughs> and I, when I say friends, I mean your loved ones then, the ones you're close to. Mm-hmm. Because do you remember just before this lockdown we were allowed what, 2.5 people in our garden or something like that. Um, And we had some rather lovely times. And not being able to see them, I think, makes you really appreciate the value of friendship and and what it brings to your life. The whole concept of friends I find quite interesting. I'm sitting here in my little office and I can see this book Uh, by Jerry Seinfeld is sat on the side. It's this book he's put out with all his material. And he did a thing I remember a while ago where he talked about friends. And he said, once you get to a certain age, you just don't have room or time for any new friends. (laughs) And the bit he did was he likened it to being at an interview for a job where you say, well, we've looked at your resume. You seem terrific. You're just the right sort of person for this company but I'm afraid we're just not hiring at the moment. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) so look, I'm I'm saying friends, but all the while in the back of my mind, I'm thinking it's a little bit bland. Oh, well, okay. I've got a good one then. Okay. I'm going to say the smell of petrol and salt water because we used to go to a place in West Wales called Lorreny, which is on the Clevay estuary when I was a boy. Mm. The Clevay Estuary, so, comes in from the Irish, Irish sea? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And uh, past Milford Haven, Pembroke Dock, Milford Haven, the oil refinery there. And then it goes in all the way up to Haverford West, which you can reach on a high tide. And we used to go there. We had a caravan there. And um, there was a pontoon that would go down and boats would be tied there and the boats with engines. We had a little, tiny little... Speedboat, it sounds very glamorous. It was a little little red thing. And you'd have to fill up the petrol, the little canister of petrol. And I find that smell to be wildly evocative of those days. And the smell of leather reminding me of my first satchel at school. (laughs) So that takes me back. Smells are the most powerful memory prodders Aren't they? I mean, Aren't they just? You go Shh, right mm. back like some kind of science fiction thing, you know, and I think that the memories that are hidden within your brain get unlocked and you have a tantalising glimpse of a moment, don't you? And then it's gone again.
0: Yes. Just for a moment, you are there.
2: But oh, so briefly, and then Shh, it's gone. Mm. So uh,
0: have you kept a fondness for the sea then? Yes,
2: I do like the sea very much. I find it... As many people do, very calming. There's a magical quality to it.
0: So it had a little motor. The, the boat did it, and you used and to... out, an, a
2: mercury outboard motor. Yeah, Brilliant. I think it was a fifty. It had a steering wheel and it had a and it had a throttle. It was a Picton Seamaster, and it was very little. You know, it seemed big at the time, but now I think mm. back to it. Two little buckety seats at the front, and two bench seats behind that, so you could sit there and you'd put your life jacket on. I think it had an ignition. I think you pressed a button, or maybe you turned a key, and, <laughs> <laughs> and then you'd go, you'd lift up a button and slide the uh, the, the throttle lever, and then off you would go. Uh... Um, and I would have been about uh, about 11 or 12, 13, 14, and would go out, take this thing out myself, you know. And I, that's one of those things where you think, well, hmm, would I, you know, because everybody says you would far more freedom, and, you know, in, in those days, you would just be outdoors more generally when you're playing in, in the woods, hanging ropes from trees and things and, and, mm-hmm. and doing all that kind of stuff.
0: And did I read somewhere that you went to the same infant school as Eddie Izzard? Is yes,
2: that... but not at the same time. That, that, not that, at the same that, time. That, right? that was this school in Porthcore, a little school called St. John's. I'm not sure if it's there now it's there anymore yeah and, and it was an odd thing and then the next school i went to was in swansea and Catherine zeta jones was was at that school okay I know. <laughs> and then i went to porth call comprehensive and ruth jones was at that school
0: that's quite a success rate for a small group of children isn't it really
2: yeah <clears throat> ruth and i have become very very good friends sort of lifelong friends mm. really uh
0: and I, mean, I love the story of you and Ruth and then uh, Julia joining. And to me, still one of my favourite comedies of all time is Human Remains. It, oh, it, it, it will always you. be.
2: Oh, that's lovely to hear. I love to hear that because of, of my, can I use the word canon? Um, <laughs> it's of my canon. It sort of gets overlooked, you know, people, um, I mean, mm. thank God they want to talk about anything, but but they probably want to talk about uh, Gavin and Stacey, uh, Would I Lie to You and The Trip are the ones that people go on about. But uh, you know, I think some of my best work easily is "Human Remains." You know, one of the f- one of the few things I wrote with Julia, the two of us. Um, so I'm massively proud of it. Rightly so. Uh, there's so much density and depth to the scripts, and she is, you know, astonishing, uh, wonderful talent. Mm. Um, whenever people tell me they like that, it's it's especially pleasing.
0: Uh, I mean, as you go through time, I think that's the thing of discovering. Comedies that that just
2: stay with you. Him and her is another with Russell Tovey.
0: Russell ah, Tovey. I was
2: yeah. texting him only yesterday. Well, I worked with Russell on um, we did. A, I did a series called Annually Retentive, uh, which didn't, didn't didn't set the world on fire, but it has some good bits in it.
0: I worked with um, Russell Tovey when he was a tiny little boy. Did you? Yes, I did a series called Mud, a children's television series, and right. and he was one of the little boys. Him and I think all the kids were called Russell because another one was Russell Brand was also one of those kids really it's a weird world isn't it isn't
2: it well I I worked with Russ on uh, Gavin and Stacey that's where I met him because he knew James from the History Boys well I met him Mm. when he did the History Boys I'm sure I must have met him when I went to see James so I knew Russ from that and then he was he was one of Smithy's friends in uh, Gavin and Stacey and and then he appeared in uh, Annually Retentive yeah so uh, a hell of an actor brilliant actor
0: yeah he's a really lovely bloke and a great actor I think well I'm just gonna take the little smell. I put it in a jar for you. A little <laughs> smell of petrol and salt water. Yes. And yes. put it in there and you can just, just lift the lid and smell it if you ever want to go in and, and yeah. be reminded of those happy times. Yeah. And we'll just watch you on your own, sailing off into the sunset, <laughs> uh, into the Irish Sea. <laughs> yes. With your time capsule in the back of the boat. Oh. That's it, we're done. Well, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. It's
2: a lovely, lovely way of springboarding into conversation, Michael. Congratulations. That's what we're doing. That's <laughs> what we're doing. <laughs> See what I did there, yeah, yeah. Great. Rob, thank you so much. Thank you very much. Very, very, very enjoyable.
0: You have been listening to the one-year birthday edition of My Time Capsule with me, Mike Fenton-Stevens, and my guest, Rob Bryden. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed it, why not have a listen to the 85 other episodes that we've done in the last year? Yep, 85, including Rob's co-stars from Would I Lie to You, David Mitchell, episode 38, and Lee Mack, episode 64 as well as Stephen Fry, Mark Gatiss, David Baddiel, Lucy Porter, Caroline Quinton and a whole host of famous guests. All you have to do is subscribe for, as everyone says on a birthday, many happy returns. Go on, do it for me. I mean, think of all the digging I've had to do to bury all those time capsules. Anyway, you can subscribe with the click of a button on ACAST or wherever you get your podcasts. And you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram by searching me or at myTCpod. We'd be grateful if you would rate us and leave a review, if you fancy. And if you'd like to hear the theme tune by Pastor the Peas Music in full, you can find it on Spotify under My Time Capsule Theme Tune. Yeah, we're nothing if not obvious. This podcast was a cast-off production. The producer was John Fenton Stevens. So, to anybody else celebrating a birthday out there, happy birthday from My Time Capsule.
2: Bye.